This talk was recorded by Insight Meditation South Bay in Mountain View, California. The speaker is Shyla Catherine. For more talks and information, visit www.imsb.org. So I've titled this talk, The Gift of Fearlessness, and I'd basically like to introduce to the topic of ethics, action, and the five precepts. In Pali, the training in morality or virtue is called the training in sila. Sila is this Pali term that we usually find translated most commonly as morality, but very often as virtue. The five training precepts offer us a basic guideline for leading an ethical life as a lay Buddhist. And these five training precepts are to undertake the training precept of refraining from killing living beings, to undertake the training precept of refraining from stealing or taking what is not given, to undertake the training precept of refraining from committing sexual misconduct, and to undertake the training precept of refraining from false speech, or to undertake the training precept of refraining from the use of intoxicants that cause heedlessness. This really is a practice of undertaking a training. One of my most favorite approaches to the cultivation of the precepts is described in the Anguttaranakaya, the numerical discourses of the Buddha, in a discourse called Streams of Merit in the Book of the Eights. And it says, for example, by abstaining from the destruction of life, the noble disciple gives to immeasurable beings freedom from fear, freedom from hostility, and freedom from oppression. By giving to immeasurable beings freedom from fear, hostility, and oppression, he himself will enjoy immeasurable freedom from fear, hostility, and oppression. And then there's a similar description for by abstaining from stealing or from taking what is not given, the noble disciple gives to an immeasurable number of beings freedom from fear, freedom from hostility, and freedom from oppression. By giving to immeasurable beings freedom from fear, hostility, and oppression, he himself will enjoy immeasurable freedom from fear, hostility, and oppression. And it goes through each of the precepts. I love this teaching that it's through restraint that we give to all beings this great freedom, this freedom from fear, this freedom from enmity, this freedom from oppression. The five training precepts are so commonly described in our training, in our practice. We refer to them on every retreat and again and again throughout the teachings, that it's interesting that in the discourses of the Buddha, we actually find relatively few references to the specific list of the five precepts. But I don't think that a limited number of references means that their importance is disregarded. I think this the fewness of the references may simply be because virtue is talked about often more generally without a specific checklist of one, two, three, four, five. 
And also many of the teachings were given to monastics who followed a much more elaborate set of training precepts, a much more elaborate set of practice vows and rules. And also, because instead of finding so many references to the five precepts, what we often find are references in the suttas to ten kinds of wholesome conduct that are the defining feature of right action in the Noble Eightfold Path. In comparison to these ten kinds of wholesome conduct, the five precepts might appear to be a rather simple training. I prefer myself to work with these five precepts. It's a shorter list, it's easier to remember, and it's a very simple way of practicing to integrate our practice, to integrate our mindfulness in our daily lives. But for those of you who are curious, what are those extra five? What are the ten kinds of conduct? It's basically a list of ten wholesome actions and 10 unwholesome actions. And three of these actions relate to bodily actions, bodily conduct that lead to suffering or lead to happiness. The wholesome is described as the ability to restrain or refrain from or abstain from the unwholesome impulses. So the bodily conduct includes the unwholesome as the action of killing living beings and the wholesome as abstaining from killing living beings. Or the unwholesome is the taking what's not given by way of theft of property or wealth or refraining from taking what is not given by way of theft of wealth or property. And misconduct in sensual pleasures or refraining from misconduct and sensual pleasures. So we have these three in terms of bodily action. Then we have four kinds of verbal conduct that either lead to suffering or happiness. We have speaking falsehood or refraining from speaking falsehood, speaking maliciously to create discord or abstaining from, speaking harshly or abstaining from, gossiping, which is um, speaking at the wrong time or speaking frivolous, useless talk or refraining from. These four kinds of speech then get condensed in the precepts into one to refrain from wrong speech or false speech. The three kinds of mental conduct then are described as coveting the wealth or property of others or refraining from coveting. Second is having thoughts of ill will and intentions of hate or refraining from having thoughts of ill will and intentions of hate. And then possessing wrong view or distorted vision or refraining from wrong view. So we have three kinds of bodily actions, four kinds of verbal actions, and three kinds of mental actions to compose the list of ten. You may have noticed that there's a certain amount of overlap, but there's also some interesting distinctions between the approach of the five precepts and the approach of the ten kinds of action. The precept list adds the extra one of restraining from or refraining from the use of intoxicants, 
Whereas the list of the ten actions divides this speech into the different nuances of these four distinct modes that can be skillful or unskillful. And instead of having the intoxicants, it adds three kinds of wrong or right mental actions. There are many approaches that we can take to train ourselves in our conduct. And there's many reasons for working with our action and also many benefits that come through the practice of the precepts. We could approach the purification of action with an interest in enhancing mindfulness in our daily lives for the purpose perhaps of reducing suffering that arises in our relationships, increasing harmony in our community. We might be motivated to remove the stress from making difficult decisions or clarifying our intentions. We might want to clean up our comic actions. We might protect our minds from guilt, regret, and remorse, or create the conditions for mental stability and concentration. We could undertake the training in precepts so that we're, we have a way or approach, use the training precepts to free the mind from the impulses of greed and hatred, from fear and anger. We can use the precepts to increase our loving kindness, our generosity, and our compassion, to abandon selfishness, and to strengthen our commitment to mindfulness and truthfulness. We can use the training precepts to live with integrity, to manifest our wisdom, to develop self-restraint and self-respect, to nurture actions throughout our days that incline toward peace, and to bring more joy and happiness into every day of our lives. But perhaps most simply, to practice the precepts, we are asking ourselves to become mindful of our actions, to bring restraint and wisdom into the nitty-gritty arena of daily actions and interactions. When I was staying in the Thai monasteries, it was very common for people to come to the monasteries and ask the monks to give them the precepts. And when the precepts were offered, when the precepts were given, nobody wanted to miss the ceremony, even though it happened on an almost daily basis. It was something that was so respected and so loved that people would rush to the meditation hall so that they wouldn't miss the service. And if the precepts were chanted over the loudspeakers, people would stop what they were doing and fold their hands together with this respectful gesture as they reflected upon the precepts and recommitted silently for themselves to undertake and to reaffirm their commitment to restraint. In Asia, people really recognize the need to have these external supports to help us purify our conduct. And so this taking of the precepts becomes a joyful ceremony that is formalized by chanting where one makes a promise in front of a respected teacher and in a community. It's an opportunity to publicly express the intention that we have to nurture the causes for the ending of suffering, not only our own suffering, but also the suffering that's caused by unskillful actions in our communities and in our world. When our actions are pure, 
the mind becomes correspondingly pure. And we can use the conscious purification of our actions to support the purification of the mind. Then later, when we contemplate our actions, when we reflect upon what we have done and what we have not done, we will find that we have no cause for regret, no cause for remorse. We find only the causes then for joy and a deep confidence and self-respect arises. We trust that we have the potential to succeed in this practice. Then the Dhamma path, the path of concentration, of insight, of liberation, becomes truly accessible. In the Anguttara and Akaya Book of the Elevens, we find a discourse that reads, Furthermore, there is the case where you recollect your own virtues. They are untorn, unbroken, unspotted, unsplattered, liberating, praised by the wise, untarnished, conducive to concentration. At any time when a disciple of the Noble Ones is recollecting virtue, his mind is not overcome with passion, not overcome with aversion, not overcome with delusion. His mind heads straight based on virtue. And when the mind is headed straight, the disciple of the Noble Ones gains a sense of the goal, gains a sense of the Dhamma, gains joy connected with the Dhamma. In one who is joyful, rapture arises. Is In one who is rapturous, the body grows calm. One whose body is calmed experiences ease. In one at ease, the mind becomes concentrated. When you contemplate each of these precepts regarding the way that you manifest them, the way that you act, can you say that they are for you Untorn, unbroken, unspotted, unsplattered? Are they unblemished? Are they whole, clear, and integrated with the liberating path? Or are your actions just a wee bit muddled, conflicted sometimes? Does the thought of your own virtue bring you joy? Does it bring you a sense of self-respect and confidence? Or when you think of your own actions, do you feel shame, worry, remorse, regret, sorrow, guilt? The development of sila is such an important part of our practice that I encourage everyone to work with your conduct, no matter how pure you feel or impure you feel your actions might be. It's really worth cleaning up, polishing, refining our actions so that the thought of each and every precept becomes a place where the mind can rest in happiness, in trust, and in faith, free from guilt and free from fear. In working with the precepts, I'd like to suggest that you combine the development of the precepts with a topic I spoke about several weeks ago, which was on the four bases for power, the four bases for success. These four idipadas, they're called, or bases for success, can be a means to enhance the strength of our virtue. 
These four bases of success leverage the potency of four qualities. They include the quality of the desire, the energy, the mind or consciousness, and investigation in the development of any intentional action. So you can incorporate these four factors, desire, energy, consciousness, and investigation, in order to strengthen the act of restraint and reinforce the wholesome courses of action and their comic potency. For example, when working with the precepts, you might highlight your genuine desire to, for example, taking the first precept to protect life. Or, Working with the fifth precept on refraining from intoxicants, you might highlight your desire to live with a clear mind. Or if you're working with the precept to not steal, you might highlight, really get in touch with your desire to be trustworthy, to be somebody who other people would trust with the things that they value. You might bring energy to the act of restraint, so that it's a full energetic commitment. Then you won't be easily swayed or weakened by the temptation of momentary unwholesome impulses. You might also become fully conscious and aware, bring the whole mind into the act of restraint, concentrate on the act of not killing, observe the act of not indulging in intoxicants. Refraining from something, abstaining from something, is a kind of action. We can bring our whole mind to that experience. Precept practice is not wishy-washy. It is a wholeheartedness. We must be fully aware and make that conscious commitment to be fully present in that act of restraint. And then this fourth idipada, this fourth factor, is to investigate to investigate the mind and the effects of your actions so that we understand the triggers for any unwholesome tendencies and then learn how we can skillfully direct our actions in order to protect our own minds. How can we use our action? How can we use restraint? How can we use the precepts to overcome the defilements, to purify our minds? with desire, with energy, with the full consciousness, and with investigation as our allies, we bring this, our whole heart, into the practice of restraint. We fully commit ourselves to refrain from unwholesome actions and to develop wholesome actions. With desire, with energy, with the full mind, and with investigation as our resources, we won't let unwholesome actions casually slide by. We won't indulge laziness, indifference, or justification. We'll gain sovereignty over our minds, and we'll gain the capacity to have restraint over our actions. These bases of power, these roads to success, support wholesome endeavors so that our actions are aligned with our highest aim. In the dialogue between the Buddha and Venerable Ananda that I found in the Anguttaranakaya book of the Tens, Ananda says to the Buddha, What, O Venerable One, is the reward and benefit of wholesome morality 
And the Buddha responds, freedom from remorse, Ananda. And then Ananda says, and of freedom from remorse, joy, Ananda. And of joy, rapture, Ananda. And of rapture, tranquility, Ananda. And of tranquility, happiness, Ananda. And of happiness, concentration, Ananda. And of concentration, vision and knowledge according to reality. And of the vision and knowledge according to reality, turning away and detachment, Ananda. And of turning away and detachment, the vision and knowledge with regard to deliverance, liberation, Ananda. In this way, the development of virtue is said to lead step by step to the highest goal, to the supreme happiness. These are the rewards and the blessings that begin with the practice of morality. I'd like to take a few minutes for quiet reflection as we sit quietly. I'll propose a few things to contemplate, to reflect upon, and then we'll uh, move into some discussion in some small groups. Take a moment, please, to reflect upon the five precepts and to consider which is your strongest. To refrain from killing, to refrain from stealing, to refrain from sexual misconduct, to refrain from false speech, to refrain from the use of intoxicants that cause heedlessness, Choose one that feels like you're pretty okay with that one. And think of a number of instances when you were quite successful at maintaining that precept where the act of restraint came easy for you. How did you feel? Was there a sense of self Respect, self-confidence perhaps? Was there a sense of joy? Of peacefulness, of harmony, of calmness? And then consider these five precepts and choose the one that feels a little bit challenging for you, where there's maybe some weakness. And consider how you might apply the four bases of success to work with that precept. So choose one that could be improved in your life, one that could benefit by a bit of attention. And then consider what you really desire. What are the benefits of developing restraint in relationship to that precept?
How can you increase your energy? The strength around that precept. How might you increase the fullness of your awareness, your conscious attention to that precept? And what might you need to investigate? What might you need to learn about the triggers that cause you to breach that precept, the challenges, the effects of breaking the precept, the internal psychological patterns that are triggered? What circles around your experience that causes your successes or your failures with that precept? What can you learn and apply the next time you face a situation where you have an opportunity to either uphold or break that precept? So I'd like to um, say each precept. And if you would like to receive the precepts, take the precepts, undertake these vows and commitments as a community, please repeat them after me. I'll just say it in Pali, and then I'll say it in English, and we'll repeat the English one. Panatipata veramani sikapadam samadhyami. I undertake the training of refraining from taking the life of any living being. I undertake the training of refraining from taking the life of any living being. Adinadana veramani sikapadam samadhyami. I undertake the training of refraining from taking what is not given. I undertake the training of refraining from taking what is not given. Kamasumi chachara veramani sikapadam samadhyami. I undertake the training to refrain from sexual misconduct. I undertake the training to refrain from sexual misconduct. Mutsavada veramani sikapadam samadhyami. I undertake the training to refrain from harmful and false speech. I undertake the training to refrain from harmful and false speech. Sura Meriya Majapamadatana Veramani Sikapadam Samadhyami. I undertake the training of refraining from intoxicating drinks and drugs which lead to heedlessness. I undertake the training of refraining from intoxicating drink and drugs which leads to 
heedlessness. The five precepts. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.